Hey, Tourpreneurs, it's Mitch Bach. And just a quick note before we begin today's episode, Tourpreneur is currently sponsored by Google. We're thankful for their support of our community, and we are offering with them a completely free course helping you unlock the power and potential of Google's Things to Do program, which is specifically helping tour operators add their tours to Google in new ways that gives you new exposure and more direct bookings. To learn more, go to tourpreneur.com slash Google. And as always, show notes, more resources, links to our newsletter, our business coaching community, and so much more are available on tourpreneur.com. Now to the episode. You're listening to Arrival Audio, recorded live at Arrival Orlando 2019 and distributed here by Tourpreneur. No matter how large or how small, no company is immune to the disruption that technology, innovation, and changing traveler demands can bring. In this session, Universal Senior Vice President Frank Belzar shares how he approaches some of the most disruptive forces in our industry. Um, so what I'm about to share with you today is somewhat abbreviated. Um, I usually talk a little longer than the 10 minutes that we're covering today. Um, and if you're hoping for it to be a bunch of data and charts or inside scoops on what we're doing at Universal, that's not gonna happen so you can go to the bathroom or get a coffee or something. Um, what I am gonna share with you is what I'm seeing in the industry, and I, I have this um, line of sight covering the four existing parks that we have around the world, uh, Singapore, Osaka, Japan, Hollywood, California, and Orlando. Uh, and soon to be Beijing, which makes it five. And I am responsible for our third-party relationships uh, for all of those parks. So we have upwards now of 750 or so contracted clients that I work with um, in one way or another. So I'm going to share a little bit with you about what I'm seeing going on and what I think is happening. And a lot of this, obviously, is from my perspective. Now, we do not need a Forbes article to tell us that our industry the travel industry is one where we're going to feel a lot of disruption, but it is. And you've probably already been feeling that. You're probably already noticing that things are catching up with the travel industry. Douglas talked about that a little bit. And uh, as a result, we're going to continue to need to sort of change the way we look at things and change the way we do things. This is no different for us at Universal as it is for someone who's starting an entrepreneurial travel company, uh, much smaller. What I want us to think about is how do we feel about the disruption? Um, do we embrace it? Do we accept it? Uh, do we think it's a good thing? How do we respond to disruption? Um, do we try and fight it? <laughs> do we try and convince others that it shouldn't be happening for other reasons? And where do we find the answers on how to adjust and how should we adapt and why should we adapt our approach going forward? And there's good answers to all of these questions. Um, mainly having to do with the customer. But from our perspective, as people that are in business and trying to deal with all of these things that are happening around us and actually happening now faster than they've ever happened, we've got to a point where it's really hard to be an early adopter because by the time you decide to adopt something, something new has come along and now you're no longer an early adopter. So it's almost as if one person gets the chance to be the early adopter and everybody else becomes the follower. So one of the things I try and think about when I come across something that's disruptive to our space 
is I look at it as something that can help us. One of the things you might struggle with when you get your leadership team together or your marketing team together with brainstorming is where do we start? And the good news with a disruptive player in our space, they've already started that conversation for us. And we've had some really great sessions with my team where we've looked at some disruptive companies and said, what is it about these companies that is clicking, that is working in the mind of the consumer that we should emulate, that we should think about, that we should try and imitate? So number one, I think disruptors are great for us because they give us a way to start brainstorming. And I also think they identify opportunities. Uh, truly disruptive companies that are growing at really high percentage of growth rates, that they're, not, they're not growing just because nobody likes them or they're, they're tapping into something that is fundamental. And so if we can find a way to tap into that sort of mindset of the consumer, that need that's being met, there's a chance for us to find an opportunity there as well. So I'm going to say something here. We just had the guy from Airbnb, Ricardo, up here. One of the problems with our industry is this. We're incestuous. We don't innovate, we imitate. Somebody starts doing X and we all say, we got to do that too. We got to go out and imitate that. We're going to go start almost the same kind of company that they have. We got to stop doing that. There's a much more valuable lesson there. When someone starts doing something different, we should be asking a question, why is a company like Airbnb successful? What are they tapping into with customers and consumers that people like? How, how, does, this, how does this work? What, what's different? Why do people like this authentic meet the owner kind of thing? And why do they like this story about my apartment or my house? And why do they want to live like a, a, a local? What are these things that that's doing that we might be able to imitate? But typically that's not what we do. We go and start another brand that we think is the same kind of thing and we hope to compete in that space and that's not really going to take us where we need to go. So I want to talk a little bit today, usually I talk about a lot of these companies, but I'm going to talk about Uber and Douglas already talked a little bit about Uber, but I'm going to share with you where I think most of us go wrong. The reason it's such a good experience is it shows where most of us go wrong when we're trying to, trying to deal with an, a disruptor. So I'm going to give you my story, and there's a lot of details to it, but I hope it, it, helps, you make, it helps make the point. Um, I typically go to London twice a year. I travel a lot, but I go to London twice a year, and there's a reason why I'm using London as an example. It's because when I would go to London, I would typically travel in the black cabs. I think most of us would agree that when it comes to taxis, London has the best. They're cool. They're spacious. So A, I liked the experience. Secondly, was it expensive? Maybe. Did I care? Typically not, because I'm traveling for work and they're footing the bill, so it's no big deal. So I didn't care about the cost. The taxi drivers are always fun. They're charming personalities. They get to learn about the city. They often have stories and ask you questions. Some of them have visited Universal, so I got an extra perspective. So I liked that part as well. So here's the point. I had no reason to change my experience. I was happy. But then one year, I went to London and I decided I'm going to try Uber. And I've never went back to the taxis. Because all of a sudden, if it was raining, I could sit inside a coffee shop and order my Uber. I knew when it was coming and I didn't have to stand in the rain and flag one down. When I 
got into the car, I knew how long it was going to be, and I, I knew I wasn't getting ripped off, and I, I knew where I was going. And, and here's the cool thing, if I needed to update someone on how long I'd be, which I was usually going to a meeting, I could do that right from the app, as opposed to trying to find out from the taxi driver. When I got done, I, I, I didn't have to pay with cash. I mean, those of you may not, many of you may not remember this, but there was a time where anywhere in the world where you would try and pay a taxi with a credit card, it was like you were pulling teeth. Even if they had the machine, it never worked, or it was something wrong with it. They always wanted cash. That's got a lot easier lately. But back then, it was very difficult. But now, there you go, no problem. And my favorite part, when I got back to the States and I had to submit my expense report, boom, 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 boom. Out you, out you print all of your receipts that show you exactly where you went from and to and how long it took you and how much it was. The entire experience was better. That's my experience. Now, here's the interesting thing. When Uber came along, we found taxi companies in every part of the world protesting their existence, fighting them, complaining about them. What was the complaint based on? Well, legacy. My father was a taxi driver, I'm a taxi driver, it took me years to learn these streets. Do most people today care about that legacy? No. Maybe if you're building me a home, my dream home, or maybe if you're operating on my child, I care about that. But to take me from one side of the sea to the other, I don't care about that. So they would fight it based on that, on legacy. Then they would fight it based on price. Well, these guys have no overhead, they're cheaper than us. Did I care about price? I didn't change to Uber for price. That wasn't the problem. But this is the argument that we hear from the people who are being disrupted. There's another very similar argument if we talked about hotels and Airbnb. There's another very similar argument if we talk about Amazon and retailers. But the point is this, their response to the disruption is to fight it on the wrong terms. They end up trying to fight Uber based on all of these other things, and that's not what it's about. For most of us, Uber is about convenience, transparency, being able to share, ease of use, staying out of the rain, and it changes your mindset as a consumer. Because after I went through that experience with Uber in London, I got back home and I was waiting for someone to come do some work at my house, a utilities guy, and we've all had that happen, and we hear, he'll be there between one and six. And I'm thinking, what the hell? Uber, why, why if, if Uber can tell me how far away the guy is, why can't these guys tell me how far away. So your experience as a customer changes because of a true disruptive experience. So I wanted to talk to you briefly about something that I mentioned we do at Universal, and that's looking outside your space. You're not going to come up with a disruptive idea that is innovative by just looking at people in your space. That's not going to work. So if you want to do something really interesting, when you get back home, Sit down with your team and pick some companies that are truly shaking things up in the market and ask yourselves, what are they doing that we might be able to emulate? Do you like what you hear on this podcast? If so, join us at an upcoming Arrival event to hear from the brightest minds in travel, get hands-on learning to help advance your tour activity or attraction business, and partake in the best networking ever. Head to ArrivalEvent.com to register and to learn more. So a couple examples here. Um, Open Door is changing real estate, and their mission is to make it easier. So imagine being able to buy a house, do all your paperwork, close, accept the offer, and everything through an app, taking away all the hassle that happens when it comes to negotiating and buying a house. 
Class Dojo has sort of changed the resources that are available to teachers to allow them to provide great education and great communication with parents, even in places where the funding isn't there to do that. And the last one, if you are nervous about using pot and want to grow cannabis and don't know how to do it, there's a company that's come up with a way to help you do that. Maybe you're too embarrassed to ask somebody, maybe you've never tried it and you want to, well, Corsica Innovations is there to help you through that process. So that's my message. Look outside the industry, look for people that are shaking things up, and you will find a way to do something different in the travel space. Thank you. Frank. 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 Yes. Uh, uh, Frank, they, please have a seat on stage Jenna's right. coming. Uh, stage I was told right. yep. stage left. Yeah, the other stage right. <laughs> ladies, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Arrivals Managing Editor, Jenna Blumenfeld. Hi, Jenna. Hi, thanks, Frank. Welcome. So to start off, I would love to chat with you about distribution. So I think many of the operators in this room would like to book, um, boost their direct bookings to avoid a commission fee. So can you describe what uh, Universal's distribution strategy looks like? Yeah, so for me, since I'm in charge of the third parties, I'm trying, you know, I, I'm the opposite of that. I'm, I'm looking for more people to distribute through and ways to make the partnership um, stronger. So we do have a direct channel, but that isn't through me. So um, I'm trying to zig a little bit where others are zagging, you know, zigging, zagging. There's a lot of people backing away from true partnership in this space, but we're kind of going through a transition where we're trying to actually double down on partnership because we think that it's a fast track to uh, growing your business and we're certainly in a growth mode. So uh, we're not going to be backing away from uh, the channels anytime soon. In fact, some of our fastest growing um, business units are in the channels. So we're going to keep going down that road. Um, and I have another question for you. So I think many people think that direct bookings is free. Is that a myth? I think it's a myth, yeah. Why? Um, so there's a commission you pay, but that's really the cost of doing business. But when you do something internally, somebody has to maintain your website. Someone has to do all of your marketing. Um, somebody has to handle that customer. Um, on our direct side, um, somebody that books on the website is typically going to communicate with our call center five times before they actually travel. So there's an expense that comes along with all of that right. for the direct side, and partners typically handle that for us. Additionally, internationally, we are not um, official merchants of record in a lot of countries, and going that route and becoming an official merchant of record is very expensive, so much so that it's probably cost prohibitive for us. So it's much better for us to work through third parties in those countries and have them represent us 100%. Excellent. Um, so you're a classic attraction. Do you work with traditional travel agents? And if so, how is that relationship evolving as tech yeah. becomes a little bit more, a lot more? So it's kind of funny, right? Because I heard Douglas say something about travel agents, and I don't want to disagree with him. But when you look at all of our segments, um, actually, the travel ag agent segment over the past three or four years has been growing at something like a 35% CAGR year over year. So it's actually the fastest growing segment for us. And when you look at these individual travel agents working out of their garage or working out of their basement, some of them have some of the worst digital technology you'd ever want to see. Horrible websites. I mean, horrible. 
um, horrible CRM campaigns, horrible blogs, horrible, but they have an authenticity that is resonating. And I think collectively, um, we've seen them make a, a very, a very big comeback, um, especially as a vacation to some of our destinations has become more complicated. People like to have that sort of uh, concierge expert service that the travel agents provide. So we're continuing to, to see that be a growth area for us. And would you say that's more common in international visitors into the parks? Actually, it's domestic is where most of our growth is coming through that segment, yeah. Okay, great. So in your talk, you mentioned the value of looking outside of the travel industry for disruptive ideas. I would love to know a very specific example of how Universal saw a company doing something totally crazy, maybe totally different, and how did you apply it into your business? Yeah, so we work a lot with um, Trend Hunter, a company out of Toronto, Canada. Jeremy Gouchier is a very you know, well-known speaker. He's written a couple books. And um, in my office, I actually have the... Um, six patterns of what he calls the six patterns of opportunity hanging up in my office. And I use that to help us try and find disruptive ways to sort of move the needle and make things, make things happen. And I was meeting with a Latin American receptive tour operator and he was struggling with customer retention. He said, I keep having to go out and find a new customer. I'm con continuing to find a new customer and I, I don't get enough repeat customers. And one of the trends that Jeremy talks about is cyclicality. And in cyclicality, you look for things that are retro. So I just looked up at the wall and I saw that and I said, so Gabriel, I said, what would you have done in 1950 to retain a customer? He said, well, I probably would have sent a thank you card. I probably would have sent them a gift. I probably would have sent them something as opposed to sending them all these emails that people are now just deleting. So he said, I'm going to try that. So I saw him a few months ago and he said his uh, customer retention numbers have jumped up considerably just by doing something as simple as sending a uh, handwritten thank you card with a small gift, thanking them for their business. Oh, that's wonderful. Do you have any advice for operators who have never done this tactic, have never looked at other companies for disruptive ideas? Where would they start? You got to think about what the, you, you can't think about what the company's doing. That's, that's where you go down the wrong road because that just leads to imitation. Like, oh, what are they doing? Oh, they have an app. We need an app. What are they doing? They have a blog. Oh, we need that. You know, it's not that. It's what is that doing on, on the guest experience side? What is that creating? You know, there are, there are humans on the other end of all these interactions. And I get pretty frustrated with the digital side of the business. And I, I know there's a lot of digital people here. They're going to get irritated with me in a minute. So here goes. But there's an arrogance that comes with the digital side of the business where they think from looking at a few numbers on an on a, on a, on a, on a, uh, analytics chart, they can work out exactly what's happening with the customer. And that's, it, it's, it's good information, it's useful information, but it's not telling you the whole story. And they, they make pretty braggadocious claims, in my opinion, sometimes, you know. So I think it's important to look at everything in context and balance and say, okay, what is, what is that doing for the customer? How is the customer responding? Do my customers need that feeling? Do they, you might already be, you might already be checking that box, so it might not be a good example. You want to look for the examples where you're not checking the box and say, okay, how can we imitate that and make my customers feel that way or attract new customers that I'm not getting already? Great. Well, that's a great segue into my next question. Uh, using data to improve customer experience and business practices is a big theme, especially at this show. But can that, can that be dangerous? What are the considerations that are really important um, to use data in your business? 
data is like vital, right? What happens though is it's a monster. It takes over. And all of a sudden, you know, I've, in dealing with a lot of these customers, I've, I've been talking to some customers now since I've been in this six years, and they're always going through a data transformation. Like, oh, we need a new website. Once we get through the new website, then we'll be, oh, blah, blah, blah. Then they get that done. Oh, we need a new internal operating. Oh, blah, blah, blah. we're going through that. Oh, we need to redevelop our, our, our digital campaign. They're always working on the tools, and they're not working on the business that really matters. And all of a sudden, you could be in this period of five years where your focus has been so drawn in to developing new products or in, in, in bringing in new tools into your, into, your, into your company that it's taken resources and time and effort and money and everything always takes longer than they say and everything always costs more than they tell you. And before you know it, you've taken your eye off the ball on what really matters, which is that customer experience. So it's a, it's, it's a fine line. I mean, you don't want to be a dinosaur and not be up to date with with technology and have tools available, right. but you got to keep it in its place. Um, it can become very dangerous. And, and then when you've invested so much in it, you feel obligated to use it for all your decisions. Right. And so all of a sudden you're in a meeting and someone says, so as you can see, everybody's dropping out right here and that means this. And it's like, really? Maybe they just lost their Wi-Fi signal. Maybe the baby is crying. Maybe they're driving down the road and they almost had an accident and they shouldn't be booking it on their phone while they're driving anyway. There's a hundred of different things that could be happening, but the assumption is this tells us this, now we're going to build a strategy around this. And what I see a lot is the assumptions made in that data world don't line up with the calls we get in our call center that tell us something else is happening. And that's where you've got to make sure you're looking at both sides of the equation. But how do you find that balance? I mean, you mentioned that it's like this really, really fine thing. So in, in our organization, sometimes it's just, it's, it's, you know, healthy tension, you know, it's my group saying, no, that's not all there is to the story. There's more to it than that. And it's another group going back and forth, but you, you do need to have those people advocating for both sides and having that discussion, or you need to just make sure you, sh you know, spending enough time looking at the other side of the uh, other side of the coin or the circumstance. Great. So your chief competitor launched dynamic pricing last year. Will this concept permeate pricing? And what are some important considerations operators should keep in <laughs> mind if they're thinking about dynamic pricing? So it's a really interesting topic with dynamic pricing. So I, I, it really doesn't matter what I think because kind of the industry is, is going that way and there's been a lot of articles about that saying that anyway. But I, I do have some sort of cautionary uh, comments when, when you think about it. First of all, um, it's not a trend that's being driven by the customer. So it's not as if I get letters or emails from co customers saying, Dear Mr. Belzer, could you please make our price, your pricing more complicated and make it more difficult so that I feel more... No one has ever sent me that, that letter. No one has ever asked that question. So I always get nervous when we start following a strategy or when the industry starts following something that isn't coming from the needs of the customer. Where's it coming from? It's coming from somewhere else. I get even more nervous when it's coming from somewhere else and we try and portray it as if it's coming from the mind of the customer, which is kind of what's happened. So I think we have to be very, very, very careful with, uh, with execution around that. The second thing I don't like about it is our business does the best when the focus is on the experience. And I think from watching some of the other stuff earlier, I think a lot of the companies in the room probably have the same thing. When someone's not focused on the experience, it's really not a good place. And what dynamic pricing does is it takes all the focus and puts it on the pricing. 
which to me is a very dangerous place. You know, I'm a sales guy fundamentally, and you want your customer looking at the price as little as possible. Right. You want that just to be an outcome of them wanting the experience. And what this does is it kind of flips that equation, and now all of a sudden the pricing becomes paramount and front and center in the whole negotiation, which is, which is not, I, I don't know if that's healthy for the business overall. Right. Are you interested in being a part of the arrival community of tours, activities, attractions, events, and experiences? Then join us at one of our events in the U.S., Europe, or Asia Pacific. Head to arrivalevent.com to learn more.